0: My name is Monique. If I haven't met you already, sorry, I'm just sorting out my iPad here. If I've met you already, I would love to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I serve here on, on staff, um, and uh, my handsome husband over there, was sharing the communion earlier as well. Um, I didn't tell you that I wouldn't embarrass you. <laughs> no, it's so good to have you all here today. Um, uh, I, speaking of the, the wet and windy weather, I, I've come to realize something about myself. I'm a lot softer than I used to be. Um, when I was a kid, the rain would not bother me at all. I'd go to school, I'd play at lunchtimes through the rain, through the mud, through everything. And I'd come home and I'd be like, that's fantastic. Nowadays, if I go out in the rain, I'm like my hair, my hair, my hair. Or I'm uh, running on gravel, anybody? Running on gravel, I used to be able to do that all the time. The soles of my feet would be like toughened leather. And I'd be running along those gravel paths like a little hobbit, just, <laughs> just zooming along for miles. Nowadays, I can't, even, I can't even walk on it. It's just so painful. Who here reckons you could still run on gravel, though? Yeah, a couple of people. All right, well, we've got some gravel out the back. Sprint races during baptisms, I think. (laughs) Don't say it if you can't do it. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that we do at school was um, this game called Manhunt. Anybody played Manhunt before? Yeah, I don't know if it's, someone said, just at school? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to play it now, honestly, um, but my hobbit feet are gone. Um, uh, we used to play this game, and I don't know if it's, it's something just that New Zealanders do, do or whatever, but if you haven't heard of this game, um, it's basically like a cross between hide and seek and tag and the Hunger Games, but without the stabbing. Um, It's carnage. Honestly, I I used to play this game and we'd play with whoever was keen at lunchtime. So it would range from, you know, your tiny little um, uh, year, year sevens, eights, intermediates age to like the massive year 13 boys. And it was just genuinely whoever wanted to play could play. But there were barely any rules apart from one person was in. You decided that at the start of lunch. Um, They would count for about 60 seconds or so, it depends. Um, And while they count, everybody runs away. So, of course, the big boys are shoving little kids left and right. They're flying this way and that way. And uh, and then if the person who's in tags you, then you're in. And you have to tag other people as well. And if you tag them, then they're in. So on and so forth until everybody is tagged or the bell rings. And then if somebody is not tug the whole entire lunchtime, then they you know you know that they have not been tugged because they walk around with a smug face going, look at me, I'm such a good hider. I just managed to last an entire lunchtime without the year 13 boys hunting me down. Um, and, and so I, I loved this game. It was so good. I remember one time, one lunchtime, I ran along the gravel at the back of the school, um, and I could do it because, again, a little toughened feet over there. I, so I would zoom up and down that place and sometimes the softer kids wouldn't be able to run and, and follow me there. Um, I was tough as nails back then. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and one lunchtime, I was running. Some of the year 13 boys had spotted me. So I'm running along this gravel going, I need to find a hiding spot. And I spotted this bright orange container um, that was sitting behind, like shipping container, was sitting behind one of the classrooms. So so I was like, all right, awesome. That's our games container. It normally has um, a bunch of games and hoops and whatever in there. Um, But I was like, great. I'm not going to go in it because that's not allowed. But nobody said I couldn't go on it. So I climb up this shipping container and I'm so proud of myself. I get up just in time, lie down flat. The other teen boys are running around going, Where's, where did Monique go? Where did Monique go? And I'm, they can't see me. Um, and so I'm lying there on top of this container. I decide this is the best hiding spot in the world. I'm gonna hide here every single lunchtime. The bell rings, guess what? I'm the best hider out of them all. And I stand up and I realize that the container was probably not orange to start with. I was wearing a lovely white shirt (laughs) that my mother had spent money on and cleaned as part of the uniform. Um, And I stood up and there was rust all over me. And I went, oh no. And suddenly all thoughts of having not been found flew out of my head. And instead I went, mom's going to kill me. Hey, mom. <laughs> yeah, she's nodding, yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't, as I am here today. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, so, so I had all the evidence of my hiding was all over me. And, and suddenly, hiding didn't seem as great an achievement as I thought it would be. Um, and, and I suppose there's, in, in thinking about it, there's this human tendency. We enjoy hiding we like to hide. We have a desire to, to hide away, to not be found. But we also have a desire to be found. At the same time, there's this tension, an interesting tension with humanity. We look at, um, uh, right in the beginning, this is something that's been going on for, for millennia. But we look at the story of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3. If you've got your Bibles, how about you guys turn to them now? In Genesis 3. Talking about the fall of man, I'll just give you a brief summary. It's the OG hide and seek. Um, Adam and Eve are playing naked and afraid without the afraid to begin with. <laughs> um, they, are, uh, they started out, God. the story goes, God created the world. He created this beautiful garden for the first man and woman to live in. And he said, you can eat any fruit from any of the trees in this garden bar one. So of course, what happens when you're told not to do something? What do you do? No, so Eve was then tricked by the serpent, which um, I think is, I think, symbolizes um, the, the, the devil, the enemy, um, tricked into eating this apple, this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, And then she goes to Adam, "You should eat this too." And Adam goes, "Twist my arm, oh sure. I'll do it." Um, and then suddenly, after they ate it, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, not high couture fashion, but, you know, is, is still good, makes, and it works. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And it shows this innate desire within man. When we do something that we know is wrong, we hide. It's not just Adam and Eve who did it as well. There's many stories in the Bible of, of um, men and women hi- running and hiding from God's call on their life. We have Jonah who ran away and, and was willing to be eaten by a, by a fish in order to get away from God's call for his life. And um, the parable of the prodigal son who, who ran away from the arms of his loving father. There's this human desire to hide. But Adam also is not very good at the game of hide-and-seek. Because who knows, if you're playing hide-and-seek and and someone goes, where are you? You don't go, here I am. That just defeats the purpose of the hide-and-seek. So it shows that we also, as humans, we do still want to be found. You look at society today, it, it values authenticity. Oscar Wilde said this famous quote, be yourself, everybody else is taken we're flooded with messages nowadays of, of find yourself, you do you, be real, break free of the crowd, be unique, and people go to extremes to show how different they are from everybody else, how real they are from everybody else, and, and we often boast about our weaknesses even using them as a point of pride, showing them off as if it's a badge of honor to be broken. Yet often it's just a mask, a way of, of avoiding the responsibilities of your actions and what you're doing and, and the reality of our messiness inside. So, so like I said, there's this interesting um, tension happening within humanity, desire to hide and a desire to be found. A desire to, to um, cover your weaknesses, but also to be known for who you are, to hide in the darkness but long for the light. Or even, you're willing to expose parts of yourself, the good parts, or the parts you've chosen to the light, but other parts you keep in the shadow, you keep them hidden. We keep them hidden. And John speaks of the struggle in, in John 3 verse 20 to 21. It says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have been done has been done inside of God. From the beginning of time, people have been trying to play hide and seek with God. But aren't you tired of hiding? Don't you want to be found? See, we, we hide from God in, in many different ways. I know, and this is just a list that I've made of things that I have done in my life. I've, I've procrastinated in, in my hiding from God, procrastinated by doing things that are good, but not as important as hiding as, as being in the presence of God. I've avoided being alone with God. I've avoided being alone in my thoughts, avoided being honest with how I really am. I've used works and and performance and service as a way to mask and cover up the dark places in my soul. I've I've said um, I've tried to play the good Christian, but on the inside. I'm just as messy and broken as every single human being. I've tried to act like God, but not be with God. We also, this is another thing. We also, when we're hiding from God, we know this because we avoid the people that we know will call us out. You know? You know that one friend who, if you say to them, if they ask you, how's your day been? And you go, good. They're like, really? (laughs) Huh? If you have that friend, say thank you to them today. They're not right now. I'm busy speaking. Um, (laughs) There's this cat on my street that I've got a vendetta against. I've got a vendetta against this cat because my husband and I just recently moved into um, a a new property, um, and uh, and it was it's our first place together. We're so excited. We walk into this place and we're suddenly hit with like, wave of a, like, a funky smell, and we walk in, and we're like, wow, what, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's smell of love. <laughs> we walk in, and we're like, this is so interesting, I don't know what this is, um, we thought maybe the previous tenants, they cleaned the carpet, they must have not closed, opened the windows, so maybe it's just musty, it was not musty, um, I had a couple of friends come in, you know, the friends that call you out. And they're like, this smells, this smells like a cat's been here. This smells like a cat's done his business everywhere. Um, and and I, when I heard that, I was like, oh dear, it's that orange cat on our street. This cat, I tell it, I kid you not, this cat lingers it lurks. If there's anything that's lurked, I've, I, this cat lurks. And it, it wanders around our property. It sits on the fence and it glares at me with these beady little yellow eyes. And it's, and it's sometimes at nighttime, I, this is not even a lie, at nighttime, Sam can attest to this, it's come up to our door and scratched at it. It wants to come back and finish the job. I'm not even kidding this cat wants to come in and spray its love everywhere and I as soon as I found figured out that it was a cat I was like this thing this thing is gone so we rug doctored the entire place we cleaned every single carpet there is one room in our house that we have not managed to get the smell out of and I close that door every single time. Well, we keep it closed all the time, but particularly when we have guests over, I make sure that door is closed tightly so no funky smells come wafting around um, out, of, out of that place and into the rest of the house. And, and, I, and I, I do that because I've realized I'm, I'm embarrassed that people will come into my house and smell such a bad smell. I'm embarrassed because I like to present myself well. I like to present my house well and keep it clean. But this this room just won't cooperate with the cleanliness. The cat didn't cooperate. It's all the cat's fault. But this room just won't cooperate with this... this um, this way that I'm trying to live my life. And and so when friends come around, I try and keep that closed. I keep that room hidden. But the thing is, just as I keep that door closed in my house, so many of us have a door in our heart that we keep shut for fear of other people finding out, for fear of other people seeing what's really going on in your heart. And then that embarrassment and that shame creeping up. We're afraid of that shame. We're afraid of that embarrassment. It's a, it's a dirty closet or an attic that we just shove everything in that we don't like, hoping that no one will ever see parts of ourselves that we hide from our friends, from the world, from God. It's things that we've done or we know that we're doing that are wrong. We know that it's wrong. Things that other people have done to us. One of the biggest reasons we hide is, again, like I said, that, that shame, that embarrassment, it, 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 this fear, it feeds the lie to us that if people see this, then no one will want to be around me. No one will want to have anything to do with me. I'll walk around like I have a bad smell, just wafting behind me and people shy away going, Ew, what is that? Funky. We even try to hide from God. Do you know how, how dumb that sounds, that we try and hide from God? Let me, let me explain to you why it's, and, and trust me, I've done this too. So I count myself amongst the crowd. Um, the big glaring fault with trying to hide with God is that you can't. You can't. Why do we keep hiding from God as if we don't realize that he's all-knowing and ever-present? He's always there. He's God. He knows everything. It's like we're kids trying to play hide and seek with our parents. And then the parent comes around and they see this childlike shape behind the curtains with the feet poking out and giggles happening. And the parent goes, oh, I wonder where Timmy is. We're basically doing like, if, if I can't see it, then you can't see it either, God. But it's time for us to be real with God like never before. How long has it been since you've been honest how long has it been since you've been honest with yourself? How long has it been since you've been honest with God? I, I'm, I'm not perfect at this, but I've tried to, I can see that there's seasons in my life that come up and then I go, all right, it's time for me to be honest with God, for me to be real with God. It's often happened when I found myself drifting from Him and then suddenly I find myself sitting in a car going, it's time to be real with Him again. And I just, it's like I vomit up all of these bad things that I've been thinking and feeling and, and worrying about and, and I acknowledge all of the things that I've done that were so terrible. I thought that thing about that person and and I, and I said that about that person and I'm afraid that this person will think this and, and that nobody will like me if they really find out what I'm really like and, and I sit in my car with God and this can be you anywhere you like. I sit in my car with God and I just peel all of the layers back and I go, God, here I am. Ew. <laughs> this is so awkward. The problem with hiding from God is that you can't. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Hebrews 4:13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See... There's a, there might be a few reasons why we hide—shame and fear and embarrassment. Another reason why we might hide is because, of, from God, is because of our view of Him. So it's really easy to go, "All right, I'm I'm imperfect. I'm." There's things that I've done that are wrong. There's things that are wrong with me. And then you hear that God is perfect and holy. And suddenly in your head jumps this image of of an angry God, an angry judge on a throne, distant, far away, just casting judgment and going to hell with you. You know, fire and brimstone. There you go. Um, Or or you see a, a disappointed father in your head turning his back on you. If that was really God, no wonder you would want to run from him. No one wants to face the consequences of this. But God is not a God of judgment. The Bible says, Jesus said, I did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. His grace is sufficient for all your weaknesses. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He is the loving father waiting with open arms for you to return home. In fact, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. Would an angry, judgmental God die for you? Really? Would would he? I don't know. Maybe out of spite. It doesn't fit with my picture of God in my head. No, no, no. God is a God of love. God is a God that embraces you in all of your imperfections. And his only desire, really is to love you and love you so much and so well that you are transformed into a new creation in him. You are wiped clean of anything that you have done in the past. Your past is gone and the new is before you. I, I had that, that rust stain on my front. And when I went home to mum, do you know what she did? She didn't yell at me. At least I don't think you did, right? <laughs> she didn't yell at me. No, no, she said, oh. Love, like, come here. What did you do? Oh, how did you get this mess on you? Oh, I guess we're going to have to clean this up. Pass me this shirt. Let's put it in the wash. And if it it doesn't clean in the wash, then I'll get you a brand new shirt. That's what God does with you. Oh, if he can't clean it, tell you what, he'll replace it with something better. And brighter and cleaner and whiter than anything that you could have ever had before. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in him. Jay spoke about that just a few weeks ago. So stop hiding from a God who loves you. There's this guy in the Bible called David. Um, He's pretty famous. He wrote a couple of books. And and one of them is, um, uh, or I think he just wrote Psalm maybe. But Psalm 139. I think sums this up so beautifully. David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And here's the the key part again. Where can I go from your spirit, says David? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even then the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like day. For the darkness is as light to you. The darkness is as light to him. No matter the darkest places that you've buried those parts of yourself, no matter how far you've gone into the darkness yourself, the darkness is as light to him. He sees you. He knows you fully already in all your weakness and all your brokenness. He sees us. Darkness will not stop God from loving you with all his might. Shame will not stop him from putting a whole new set of clothes on you. Nothing can hide you from his love. So what do we do in face of all this love? What do we do if we know we cannot hide? Proverbs twenty one verse thirteen I think has the key. It says Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confess and renounce. It's fancy ways of saying be honest with God and let go of what you're trying to hide. Another phrasing is, is that you hear often in churches is confess and repent. So it generally just means be honest and apologize. Sorry, God, I did this and this and this, and I'm sorry, I know it was wrong. Forgive me, God, I'm not gonna do this again. Change me, work in me, help me to be a better person. Help me to step into your light. God, I acknowledge that I did this, and I acknowledge that I did this. I'm honest with you before you, and I repent. Repentance essentially just means do a 180. Easier said than done, which is why we've got God to help us, Holy Spirit to help us. But it's time. It's time. Oh, it's so time for us to be honest with God about the broken pieces in us, in the dark pieces. And sometimes, sometimes you think you've confessed everything before God, and then a few months later you realize, oh heck, there's more stuff. Because life accumulates on us, right? We're living in a world of darkness. No wonder darkness sometimes finds little footholds on us. So then it's time to do it every now and then. Take take moments, schedule times even if you need to, to be honest and open and raw and real before your maker. And when you are honest and real before the Lord, then something amazing happens. Instead of hiding from him, he will become your hiding place. Instead of building walls against him, he will become your fortress instead of moving into the darkness he will be as light to you instead of marinating in your own shame he will give you a whole new set of clothes he will make you a whole new creation he will lift you up out of the darkness seat you at his right hand heavenly places you have been called to more than just darkness you've been called to more than just this world that you are living in you don't have to stay broken anymore you don't have to stay in the dark anymore you don't have have to stay with your locked up room with that bad smell trying in fear to keep people away from that side of you when God already sees you and he already knows you and he already loves you. He wants you and he wants you to open that door so that he can come in, give it a whole new clean. There's this quote that I love from C.S. Lewis and I'm going to use this to wrap it all up today. C.S. Lewis, fantastic writer, Christian. um, He said... Imagine yourself as a living house. Everybody close your eyes. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense what on earth is he up to the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of throwing out a new wing here putting in an extra floor in there running up towers making courtyards you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage but he is building a palace he intends to come in and live in himself